Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. Hello, firecrackers, and welcome to a new episode of The Honest Uproar. My guest today is Dr. Amy Blackstone. Uh, She is a professor of sociology at the University of Maine, and she's also also an author. So welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I would like you to please tell me and our audience, of course, more about you. So I am talking with you from Bangor, Maine, where I work, as you said, as a sociology professor at the University of Maine. I split my time there between our sociology department and our policy center. And I've been in Maine for about 16 years. This is where I've spent my career and have been engaged in this study of the child-free choice for the last 11 years. Wow. And where are you originally from? I'm originally from Minnesota, so uh, came to Maine straight out of grad school right after getting my PhD in 2003. Oh, okay, cool. Do you like Maine? I love it. You know, it's not that um, much of a difference from Minnesota, both northern states that get pretty um, hardy winters and four seasons, and I'm... um, I'm a skier, so I have to have winter. (laughs) Um, And the biggest change for us was probably moving from a city to a pretty small town. But even that is something that we have adjusted to and really come to love. Cool. I've never been to Maine, Um, but I really like the north, the the northeast of the U.S. I really like it Uh much. So that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's get right to it. When did you decide how to that you wanted to live a child-free lifestyle? How did it was it like process? How did it happen for you? It was definitely a process for me. So uh, in my childhood, I always assumed that I would become a mother one day, and I had this vision as a kid that I would have two kids, one boy, one girl. I would start having them when I was twenty, and I chose age twenty because it was. It wasn't teens. Um, and in my, you know, in my like 10-year-old mind, I thought that's old enough to start having children. And all of my friends' moms who are the youngest are the coolest. And I wanted to be a cool mom. So I thought I'd start having them early. <laughs> that changed obviously over time. Although even into my teens, I assumed that I would become a mother. Um, when I was 11 years old, I enrolled myself in a babysitting course and I became a certified babysitter and spent many of my weekends through junior high and high school babysitting kids in my neighborhood. And I really relished that role. And then in college during the summer, I nannied and I even nannied my nephew when I was a grad student. So I really did um, prepare myself for the role of mother of, of mother and I even married my high school sweetheart right out of college, Lance. We're still married um, almost 25 years later. And so everything in my life, you know, even to the point where I got married, really pointed to motherhood as really an inevitability for me. And when Lance and I got married, people, of course, started asking us, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? And my answer was, we're too young. I was 22. He was 23. We wanted to 
you know, get settled as a couple and establish careers. And eventually I went to graduate school. So over those years, over my 20s, when people would ask us, um, I always said, well, I'm too young. We'll do it later. And I realized by the time I was 35 and I was still answering the question, well, I'm too young. I'll do it later. Then maybe something else was going on. Maybe uh, I didn't want to become a mother. And at that point in my career, I had just been promoted um, it, it with tenure. So I just received tenure, which meant I had job security at my university and sort of had more freedom to do research that I really wanted to do, that I had a, a personal interest in and a personal investment in. And even if it meant I wouldn't get, you know, prestigious publications or grants out of it, I could do that research. So that was happening at the same time that, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and realizing, oh my gosh, I keep telling people I'm too young to have kids. That's probably not true anymore. And many of my friends at that time were becoming mothers. So all of these things sort of converged. And um, when I realized that I wasn't feeling that pull toward motherhood that I always expected I would feel at some point, I turned to the sociological research on people who are not parents. Like I wanted to understand, really, I wanted to understand what was wrong with me. Why am I not feeling this pull toward motherhood that I just assumed was natural and would come to me one day? And I learned two things. Um, one, I learned that this natural instinct to be a mother is, is a myth. Um, there's really no scientific evidence to show that women are instinctually driven to become mothers. So, you know, that felt good to realize. But I also learned there was much less research on this topic of the child-free choice and how people come to their decisions about parenthood than I expected to find. And because I was entering this stage of my career where I had some flexibility, I decided to launch the, the, a completely new area of study for me. I mean, I, prior to this, I was, um, I still am a sociologist of gender, but I studied social movements and activism and social change. And this was a completely, you know, this was literature in families um, and in parenthood, which was totally new, um, but decided, you know what, I really want to understand other people's experiences who are like me. So I launched the research and here we are. That was a very long answer to your question about when I decided <laughs> to be a parent, but um, it definitely was a process that took time for me. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you just said um, you got into like a whole different thing. But what you mentioned before, you know, you were doing studies about movements and activism and whatnot. Like for me, being child free is sort of like being an activist in a way, you know. So yes, it really, yeah, I mean, th that's interesting. It, I agree with you. Um, it took me a while to to be convinced that that this is a movement or that what what you and I are doing, for example, is activism. And I think I've, I've actually changed my mind about that. But early on, I thought, well, child-free really isn't a movement because we don't have enough in common with each other. I mean, we share this experience of not being parents in a world where being a parent is the presumed, you know, be all and all and the norm and the ideal. But other than that, you know, child-free people are a pretty diverse group. So it was hard for me to conceive of, you know, what we would coalesce around as a movement if the only thing we have in common is our lack of children. But as I got um, to know more child-free people, got involved in the community, and really got into this research, I realized, well, okay, we are diverse, but we have some common interests. Like, we all want and deserve 
work-life balance. And many of us work in places that don't recognize our families as legitimate and as deserving of leave in the same way that, um, that families with children have. And we all want to be recognized and respected for our choice. So there is a part of our identity, our shared identity, that I think has some political tinges to it in terms of identity politics. And, you know, there are other policies around the world. In the United States, one example is um, something called the Earned Income Tax Credit, which is a, um, which allows people who are living below the poverty line to not have to owe the government taxes until they reach or until they exceed the poverty line in terms of their income. Um, But child and child-free people fall through the cracks of that policy. And many people who earn incomes that are below poverty um, but don't have children actually do end up owing taxes. So it's harder for them, you know, it's harder for pretty much anyone in the U.S. to climb out of poverty based on our policies. But the, but people without kids have that extra hurdle um, because they're paying taxes on, on, on uh, incomes that are well below the poverty line. So I realized, I started to realize as I learned more that you know, this there is a movement. We do have issues around which we can coalesce and organize. Mm, absolutely, I think there is many. I mean, I I've heard people comment about this and read and write about this as well. There's there seems to be some sort of discrimination as well in many ways. You just mentioned something about work life balance. So yeah. uh, they give uh, special treatment. Um, I know the U.S. doesn't have um, a very strong policy on maternal leave. Right. No. Well, in my country, women get four months and and their husbands get a month and it's paid. Okay. And in countries like Norway or Sweden. Yeah, they get like two yeah. years or three years paid leave of maternity. And yeah. I understand what the governments are trying to do uh, in terms of just, you know, let the mom bond with child or whatever but sometimes I'm like why do they get this special royal treatment and because I don't have any kids and I have to work overtime people feel entitled to some things just because they're parents so why is that why do you think there is that disparity well I mean I I think that one place that that comes from is the recognition that um you know, to use a totally cheesy phrase, borrow from Whitney Houston, that the children are our future, that there's some investment that we all have in um, rearing children to um, to understand, you know, the values and beliefs and norms of our culture. And that one way that they do that is through their parents' influence and being raised by their parents and that that's an investment of time and money. So, I mean, I think that's you know, if, if I take an optimistic view of it, I think that may be where um, that comes from. But I would counter that with the reality that child-free people actually contribute to the good of the world and to our future in many ways as well. And if we as a society decide, okay, you know, we want to support working parents and and in and, and giving them time to rear their children because we believe that's an investment in everyone's future. Well, there are many ways that child-free people could take time away from work um, and contribute to our our collective interests as well. I mean, I could take four months off and volunteer in the rainforest or take four months off and work at my local homeless shelter. Or, you know, there are all kinds of ways I could spend my time outside of work that are arguably, you know, for the collective benefit but that I don't have the flexibility to do because it's not, it doesn't fit into that one narrow idea about um, what's worthy of people's time. Mm, Yeah. And 
Okay, now that we're in this subject of parents and non-parents and what it is that they get and we don't, yeah. I feel that I feel like parents get privilege, right? So, mm-hmm. so why are they so angry at us? It's <laughs> such a personal choice. We, I mean, we get so much crap thrown at us by people who are parents <laughs> and tell us that we're selfish and we're not yeah. doing anything good for the world. And if you are not a mother, then what is your purpose as a woman? And well, this is one of those questions that. I don't know for sure, but my guess is that the answer varies from culture to culture. Um, so it's interesting. Like, I would love to hear your perspective as a person in Colombia, because in the U.S., part of me feels like, well, actually, parents have gotten kind of a raw deal. Like, as you noted, they don't have we, we really have terrible supports for new parents in this country. Um, and that's not true you know, around the world, as you noted. So in some ways, at least in the U.S., I can understand why parents might be a little bit cranky because they're exhausted and they're not getting the time that they might feel that they need in order to adjust to parenthood. Um, Aside from that, I think, you know, maybe this is more universal. One place the hostility might come from is um, for some people, The idea that parenthood is a choice and that some people might opt out of it is so foreign that I think it can be jarring. And, you know, if something like if in your core, in your heart and your soul and your core, you believe that people are destined to become parents um, and that it's the most fulfilling thing and the most meaningful thing we can do to be challenged on that, I think, you know, can probably shake your entire worldview. So if our choice is doing that to people, Um, Well, I don't think it's justified. I think I can understand why they might respond in a hostile way. I keep thinking the more I I do this work on the child-free choice that I need to do some research on parents too. Like I I keep speculating about what parents are thinking and feeling, but I haven't talked to any of them in terms of, you know, gathering data that I can make claims about. Um, So that, you know, it's all speculation on my side. Well, in, in, in Colombia, as, as it is the case in many other Latin American cultures, we have a very strong connection to religion as opposed to right. the U.S. And, you know, yes. Catholic countries are just, you know, family-centered and women have to marry men and women have to be sort of like their slave, basically, yeah. to our spouses, so yeah. macho uh, societies. And then if you don't bear children, it's it's sort of like... You, you're just not going to win in life at all. Like there's nothing that you can yeah. do that's going to make anyone around you happy about what you achieve. Just yeah. decide not to have any kids, right? Um, and there's also, I mean, there's a lot of bigotry as well, my country specifically, regarding women who decide to live very independent lives for the same reasons I just mentioned. So either we are rebellious without a cause or we are lesbians. I mean, and yeah. I... I have a lot of gay friends. I love them to death. But here, that's an insult. Yeah, I mean, right. people think it's an insult, right? You know, uh, yeah. So we get shamed for it. You know, you know, you can't be that independent. You need to be, you need to depend. So basically a woman here is born and you depend first and foremost from your parents, especially your dad, because normally the men are the breadwinners. And yeah. then you go out of your house and you're going to start depending on your husband. And it's going to be like right. that until the end of your days. You're going to always depend on somebody else, a man, preferably, right? So... Yeah. I don't dare to many of the things. Even since, even since I was a kid, ever since uh, I was very young, I was like, no, I don't understand why these things are imposed on us. And yeah. 
I was lucky enough to grow in a family that wasn't religious at all. My parents were not. Okay. Okay. Um, and they taught me and my sister how to be very independent because my dad, he's a doctor. And I guess he saw many women in very dire situations, mm. you know, being psychologically abused, physically abused by their husbands okay. or whatever. And he always told me and my sister, you need to be independent. You need to work because you can't depend on anybody else but yourself. Yeah. That's yeah. rare here. Right. Uh-huh. When I told my parents about my child freeness, that was it was a it was a whole thing. <laughs> a step a step a little bit too far. <laughs> You're listening to the Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern child-free women share their life stories, and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. Uh, there's another thing that happened to me, you know, in the whole process of making the choice and actually taking a step further. And it is that, uh, so I had my OBGYN, I told her, I don't want to have kids. Can we please, you know, just tie my, my tubes. And she was like, okay, it was that easy. Really? Two months afterwards, my tubes were tied. That was it. So I want, I'm wondering why is it so hard in, in, you know, countries like the United States or Canada, well, Canada is a different, uh, Canada is a bit different. I, I see, I'm yeah. specifically about the U.S. Why is it so hard for women there to find a doctor to um, make a procedure to like voluntary sterilization, basically? Yeah. Well, I have a couple of ideas about that, and one is linked to something you just you were saying about going back to the hostility that people uh, parents sometimes have toward the child free. I'm glad you brought up religion because I, I think that is linked to the point I was making about, you know, this choice really shaking people's core beliefs in a way or challenging people's core beliefs in a way that is really uncomfortable for them. And I think another um, core, I guess, ideology that we challenge as child-free people is patriarchy. And, you know, by related to your whole, your dad's whole point about be independent, he raised you to be able to take care of yourself. And I think that, um, independent, empowered women are really terrifying (laughs) to a lot of people. And I I don't know for sure, but I feel like the, the medical, um, the problems that women in the U S have, um, with our medical institution may be linked to, to that patriarchy piece that, you know, that I know that medical training is, you know, very top down, very hierarchical, um, really patriarchal too. And so it's probably not taught explicitly in medical schools that you shouldn't trust women or you shouldn't believe women when they tell you what they want. But I think that that idea is sort of imbued in um, any system that's shaped by patriarchy. So it, it could be part of that. I also think actually my sister is a is a doctor. She's a family practice doctor. And it's been really gratifying for me to kind of talk with her about my research and and she's now read the book and um she shared i'm getting goosebumps just talking about it she shared with me last week uh after she finished my book that um she feels like it's made it's help helping her become a better doctor for her patients um because she really that she said she struggled in the past when young women would tell her that they didn't want to ever become mothers because she worried that they would change their minds. And she's a mother herself. It's a role that she finds extremely fulfilling and gratifying. She obviously loves her children. Um, and 
wouldn't want to deny anybody that experience, but she hadn't considered it from, you know, putting herself actually in the shoes of the women who are telling her what they want. She was only looking at it from her perspective as a mother who wanted to be a mother. And, um, you know, that might be a, a part of it too, that um, I think some doctors fear, although this is patronizing and patriarchal too, that, that women will change their minds. Um, which like, I'm really confused about that because I feel like, okay, some of them may change their minds, but it's a decision they made. And, um, you know, as, as adult people, we recognize that our decisions have consequences and sometimes they have consequences that we don't like. And, you know, that's on the woman who made that decision for herself, not the doctor's responsibility. It just, it's a hard one for me to wrap my brain around why that's so hard for doctors here. Yeah. You know, it just reminded me before I took it up with my OBGYN, uh, you know, the decision about getting my tubes. Yeah. I, um, I spoke to my therapist. I've been seeing her for 10 years and I told her, I made the decision. What do you think about it? And she said to me, listen, if you ever change your mind, you can, there's a surgery to reverse you know, the, the, the tubes that yeah. are tied, you can have in vitro fertilization, you can adopt a kid, uh, you can foster, but you're really decided that you don't want to have kids right now. Like you are, like I see that you are and you get pregnant and then you have to abort. That yeah. is be traumatic for you. That's going to be like, you have options in the future if you really want to be a mother, but right now you only have one option if you get pregnant. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I was like, okay, no brainer. I'm just going to go ahead and do it because she's right. right. I don't think I'm going to change my mind, but you know what I mean? Like at least. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I always think about is, um, okay, so maybe some child-free people change their minds, but to me, what is worse, changing your mind as a child-free person or changing your mind as a parent? Like there's no, you, you know, you don't, you can't return a child. <laughs> Absolutely. No or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and to your point, if you, if you do, you know, want children in your life, there are so many ways to do it that, that aren't limited to biological reproduction. Mm, yeah, no, I agree. And you just reminded me, you know, this whole going a little bit back on our, on our conversation about what happens in Colombia and whatnot. Um, women really don't understand that they have the choice. Like it's, it should be logical to say I have the choice not to become a mom, but it's so like the culture and the pressure is so strong that they really don't think they have a choice. And I saw a friend, one of my closest friends not long ago, and she, after I told her about my, you know, my surgery and we talked about what I was doing now um, and why I wanted to get my word out about this. Uh, she said to me, uh, you know what, if I could turn back time, I wouldn't have gotten married and I wouldn't have a child because that's not what I wanted. I just did it because it was like the next logical step that I had to take. Yeah. And my heart just broke for her because I was like, you can't back out of that. Exactly. How you just mentioned no, there's no can't. way. And that is heartbreaking for everybody. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I want to know about the book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's called, um, Child Free by Choice. Correct. So the book is um, sort of the, you know, the, the culmination of all of the work that I've been doing for the last 11 years. When I started conceiving of this book, uh, probably three or four years ago, I initially thought of it as um, 
I'm going to bust the top five myths that we have about child-free people. So, you know, we're selfish. If we're women, we're not real women unless we've had kids. We must hate children. Our families aren't real and we're going to die bitter and lonely. As I was working on drafts of the book, that's sort of how I was conceiving of it. And there are those chapters are in there. Um, but when I started working with my editor, who is amazing and um, also happens to be child-free, so she was a lot of fun to work with, um, she really pushed me to think bigger and really situate this choice historically. So it's not just that we're having this current moment and you know I have this contemporary research that really pushes back against the stereotypes of child-free people, which I do, and and that is addressed in the book. Um, But this is a choice that's actually been out there for as long as we've had people. It just hasn't been as visible, um, or it's been only seen in socially sanctioned ways. We've had priests and nuns for quite a long time, and they've opted out of parenthood (laughs) forever. So um, it's not, and you know, we've always had There have always been women who have found ways to avoid becoming pregnant. Um, There have always been abortions to some extent, um, some obviously much safer than others. So this is not a new phenomenon. And um, so in the book, I really dive into the bigger context of this choice. So, uh, you know, make the point that this is not a new phenomenon. Talk about uh, where our ideas about families and kids today come from. Religion is a super big piece of that. Um, so, and then also trace kind of the birth of the child-free movement, and you know what the context was in the U.S. when that movement emerged in the '70s, and then you know move on to where we are today and where I hope we will go in the future. So, uh, it turned into a much bigger project once I found this amazing publisher and editor to work with, and it's really been a blast. Um, my husband Lance actually is is a co-author. He wrote an afterword in the book. And uh, we all, Lance and I and my editor really felt committed from the beginning to having his voice present. Um, I mean, in my research, I do, I did interview child-free women and men, and I do talk about men's experiences. Um, but we wanted to have you know, a man's voice actually represented too. So Lance in the afterword shares a little bit about his experience as a child-free man. Um, and then a little bit about how it has differed from my own experience. So yeah, so that's the book. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah. When was it published? Just last month, June 11th wow. of this year. So it's yeah. only been out for a month and, um, it's been quite a whirlwind. I've been doing a lot of, uh, a lot of interviews, a lot of, I've written some opinion pieces for various outlets and, um, have been talking with some of my my folks in academia who are assigning it in their classes this fall. So it's, it's so exciting to see, you know, this project that has been, has really meant so much to me from the very beginning to see it really come together in this way has been amazing. That's awesome. And it's really cool that they're going to actually make some people read it in courses in colleges or universities so people can understand a little bit more what this is all about, even if they're not child-free. Yeah. Actually, especially if they're not child free. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I'm pretty excited. So I know it's being assigned in some families' classes, which is awesome. Um, 
one of my own personal soapbox issues is that I want to be recognized as a family. So I think it's great that they're talking about this choice in families classes. And then I know some sociology of gender classes that are assigning it. And, you know, we've already talked a little bit about ways that this choice and the experience of it are gendered. So, um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. That's awesome. Uh, I'm going to leave a link down here to Amazon so the people that want to buy your book can go directly and and click it and buy it on Amazon. Great. And there's another project that you have, right? You've been doing for longer, which is... Yeah. um, We're not having a baby. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, that is a project that Lance and I do together. So I, I've mentioned I started my own research in 2008, and Lance and I l- launched our blog in 2013. And that really came from two places. One, as a couple living in a small town in a very rural state um, in Northeast U.S., uh, we were having trouble finding folks in our area who share our experience of being child-free. And we have a wonderful community. We have great friends here. Um, we adore our friends. But we, would, we really wanted to make connections with people our age who were not parents. And it just wasn't happening for us in our community. So we thought, well, why don't we start a virtual community? Uh, we can do this online. So that was one goal of the blog. And then another goal really was um, me wanting to share what I was learning from about you know, from my own research and then from other researchers on this topic. Um, as a sociologist, much of what I do falls into the category of public sociology, which means that I I always hope that my work will have relevance for people outside of academia, and I I try really hard to um, share my work in venues that have a broader reach. I mean, I still publish in the usual scholarly journals too, but for a long time, I've been felt really committed to wanting to feel that my work mattered to the people that I actually was studying. So the blog was a way to share the research also. Cool. And you also have like um, guest bloggers, right? Or guest posts in your we blog? We do, yes. Um, one of the things we learned pretty quickly uh, as, so we, when we launched the blog, we launched a, an associated Facebook and, and, and Twitter um, pages. And we realized you know, our experience as a child-free couple is just one of many experiences that people have. And we all, I think, come to this decision in different ways. And the reality of living this identity as child-free really varies from person to person. And so we started this section of the blog that we call Child-Free Stories, where we invite guest contributors to share their own stories and whatever part of their story that they want to share. And it's, I think that's probably the most read uh, section of the blog. And my guess is that people, you know, want to find, you know, they want to hear people's stories that resemble their own. And so I think that's part of it that my, our hope is that in this, as we're building this archive of stories, that people will be able to see, you know, some common threads or, or, or stories that resonate with, with their own experience. Uh, but also we wanted to be clear that, well, the blog is very much focused on our experience. We are just one, <laughs> one couple, one set of experiences, and there are so many others out there. Yeah, that's true. What is the thing that you like the most about being child-free? Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> that's a really hard question. Um, I think 
It probably varies from moment to moment, to be honest with you. I mean, I I guess not to get too cheesy, but I think the thing that I most deeply appreciate is that I, the knowledge that I'm living the life that I've chosen for myself. I mean, that just, it sounds cheesy, but it's really gratifying. It's Uh, empowering. (laughs) It really is. Yeah. And then there are like, there are smaller things that I enjoy, but in moments, um, they might be the most important thing. Like when I'm driving home from work and I'm exhausted, um, sometimes I'll think, oh my gosh, it's possible that if I were a parent, I might be driving to a daycare to pick up my child. And then I'd have to think about making dinner. And then I'd have to think about bath time and book reading time and putting someone to bed. And I can hardly think beyond getting myself through my front door. Like I'm so exhausted. (laughs) So, you know, in some, some moments, the thing I most love is that I only have to worry about dinner for myself (laughs) or getting myself out the door or ready for bed or dressed in the morning. Um, that's, you know, that sounds petty, but, um, in those moments of exhaustion, I'm grateful for that too. (laughs) Well, Dr. Blackstone, it's been a pleasure having you here and talking to you. Now, before I let you go, is there anything else you would like to add to our interview? Um, not, not for myself, but I, I do want to just say that I'm, I'm so glad to have met you and I can't wait to follow the podcast and I'm really excited to learn um, from you about what the experience being child-free in Colombia is like. Um, I, I just, I, the more I do this work, the more I realize, I think this is true with everything, how little I know, like my, my, my sample, my interview subjects are all, you know, people from the United States who have a pretty narrow set of experiences. And um, I, I'm more and more curious about how our our experiences vary and how they're similar around the world. And I just, I'm so glad that you're doing this podcast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I look forward to following it. <laughs> thank you very much. And thank you again for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast for modern child-free women share their life stories, and where we discuss important topics for the Kidfree community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire. <laughs>